Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kei te whakaronga mai, koe ki tō tātou au horihori, ki te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I'm Alison Balance and you're with Our Changing World on RNZ National. Now, during the four and a bit weeks of Level 4 lockdown, our streets were largely empty of cars and pedestrians and cyclists had freedom to roam. Everyone was commenting how pleasant it was. Now, under Level 3, people are leaping into their cars and traffic is quickly building up again. It's a good time to catch up with cycling sociologist Mike Lloyd from Victoria University of Wellington. He's very interested in how pedestrians, cyclists and drivers coexist on city roads. I recorded this interview pre-lockdown and gosh, I've been struck with how much traffic there is on a normal weekday. Now, Mike, we've met up in central Wellington. We're on the corner of Oriental Bay, um, but where it comes into town, and there's a big, wide pedestrian footpath, um, and there's now a separated bicycle path yeah. with an area on it that is basically for pedestrians to come and go from their cars. There's actually a bicycle counter on that thing. So what does it say today? 375. So 375 cyclists have passed, and here goes 376. So commuting in Wellington, there's lots of cars going past, obviously, but it's not the only way that people commute. Oh, just in the last year, really, in Wellington, it's diversified with particularly the introduction of the the trial e-scooters. So I've been down here for about 15 minutes, and I would have seen, I don't know, 20 or so e-scooters go past. Um, Some of them are the rental ones, the Jump or the Flamingos. Some of them are privately owned. There's an increasing number of privately owned scooters and I think one reason they're taking off is because they go quicker. I saw one guy on a really jazzed up one I think was doing at least 25, maybe close to 30 k's around the waterfront which is kind of interesting to watch. (laughs) There's also electric skateboards too, I've seen more of those and Um, they they rattle along at quite the clip as well. And there's um, the one wheeled electric things, I'm not even sure what they're called but we might see one of those if we hang around long enough. So there's quite a complex dynamic going on here around this at this time of day in Wellington as people are commuting because you've got yeah. you've got cars, you've got buses, you've got cyclists, you've got walkers, you've got scooters, you've got a whole lot of other mm. things going mm. on. And I should point out that you're actually on a bicycle and I'm currently being someone standing in a bike lane, so I'll just move. But there have been two people yeah. strolling obliviously right down the middle of what should be the bicycle area. Before I started talking with you, I actually rode along there and there was a guy coming, walking along straight towards me. And I was tempted to say, uh, excuse me, you're walking in the cycle lane. But it wasn't a problem because it's, it's wide enough. But if it got any busier, yeah, you would start to think, oh. And this is you know, classically been a problem for cyclists finding a space so we're so thrilled to get a cycle lane and then you find <laughs> there's pedestrians but you can tolerate that but then there's hundreds of e-scooters <laughs> who are again entitled to be there because they haven't worked out where they belong yeah well this area here is on this 
first look is a fairly safe area because it's wide. But of course there are a whole lot of other areas around Wellington which are nowhere near as amenable to, to having so much different kind of traffic. There's just there is a constraint as to you know what you can build into it. One example was as is probably well known throughout the country, there was a huge controversy about the Island Bay Cycleway. But when you went down there, it was pretty wide road, and I, th- I thought it worked. Um, so tell me about some of the research you've been doing in this area. I know that you've mentioned the, the Island Bay Cycleway. Do you want to describe, actually, what the initial uh, look of that cycleway was, how it worked, mm. and then some of the work you were doing there? Yeah, of course, I live in Wellington, so you, you could hardly escape it. So there was an existing cycleway in Island Bay. Uh, it was a pretty traditional one, so i.e. footpath, car parking, and then a white line on the outside of the cars for the bikes to go along. And it is a pretty wide road, and I guess it worked, but it's the classic problem. Is it doesn't really provide a lot of protection to the cyclist, so you can get doored or you can get hit by, from a car from the other side. So, so a door is when somebody just opens the yeah, door quickly in happens, front of you. It's a, it's a horrifying thing, and it happens too, too frequently. It's not really much of a solution. It doesn't encourage people to get out on their bike, and particularly for, for young children. I mean, a, a parent doesn't want their kid to be you know, run over by a car, obviously. So not much of an encouragement. So the design was, um, I think it's called a Copenhagen-style cycle lane. So... It went to the footpath um, and the car parks were moved out and the cycle lane went between the car parks and the footpath was a a bit wider and there was a dotted line for for where the car door could open and there were green cycle signs and so on. And also in the middle of Island Bay where there's about a half a kilometre shopping area, they, they decided they couldn't have that so they went to what's called a sharrow. So they put in speed bumps at either end. And the sharrow is a a cycle sign with a double arrow at the head of it. And the notion is that that's a space where the cyclists can claim the centre of the road. They can legitimately ride in the centre of the road. And it's a 30k zone. And and a car should, you know, be quite happy to let them in front. But I think some of your early work, when they first introduced those, was your idea that it wasn't actually made clear how the cyclist was allowed to use that shared yeah. area. Well, the thing was, when they when they built that, the Sharrow was still actually not officially mandated in the New Zealand Road Code. It was still under trial, and they were relatively new. I mean, commonsensically, if you see a bike riding in the middle of the road, you don't run them over. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people didn't really know that's what the sign meant. And so, I mean, when I rode down there the first few times, I didn't go out in the middle of the road because I'm just not used to it. As a cyclist, you know, you're well aware that you're vulnerable. So my habit was to ride along the normal left line um, beside the cars. So it takes a little bit of bravery to, to get out in the middle. And, you know, you get a few cars beefing at you. And it's, only, it's not a, a large distance, so if they're patient, you get through. And, it, you know, a bike can travel at... 20k's an hour quite easily so you're not going much slower than the the car's supposed to go but that was quite an interesting space Um, but I also did drive my car through through the the length of Island Bay and I must admit it it certainly did feel a little bit narrowed and it does take a a little bit of getting used to but once you get used to it I think it it worked fine and and I think the, 
the furore about it was was probably from a relatively small number of, of local residents. I think the city council has now ch- said they will change the design of that cycle yes, lane. Yes, my understanding, and I've seen some of the plans, is they're going to go back to having the cycle lane on the footpath, so the footpath will be extended and that's where the bikes will be and the cars will then go back to being parked alongside the footpath. So there's the issue of cars and cyclists, then there's another issue of cyclists and pedestrians and how they yeah. navigate each other. There's a number of bus stops along the length of Island Bay and they decided to have a, a bus stop bypass so the cycle lane would then weave onto the footpath and it was a shared space. Uh, this is quite a well-known design, came out of Europe, uh, it's been around for decades so the notion is that rather than having excessive signage you might have a a couple of signs indicating it's a shared space and you let people work it out and they pretty much do I mean nobody really wants to run into somebody else and do them damage so uh, you slow down you look at each other but that was also interesting that you don't always have to look at each other to to indicate safety pedestrians are quite uh, infamous for, for actually being oblivious and there's quite a lot of research uh, worldwide that shows that pedestrians will cross roads quite frequently and not show they're looking at a driver and force the driver to give way to them. And it, does, it can actually work, but it's quite clearly a very risky, well, potentially risky strategy. But, yeah, you do find that as well. Yeah. You've done some research where you separated the way people aren't looking, and that's mm. in quotation marks, into two kinds of not looking. It's the distinction between doing oblivious and being oblivious. So being oblivious is where you really are oblivious. You're totally uh, giving no consideration. You just simply walk into the road and cross. Now, that's clearly quite risky, but generally speaking, if a car driver sees that and they're going slow enough, they will stop. Whereas doing oblivious is the notion that you're more consciously not looking and you know, knowing that you're doing that, and you, it's a sort of conscious strategy. You know, you can walk around Wellington and see quite a lot of that in pedestrian activity. So that's the idea that the, you, you might glance, basically apprise yourself <coughs> of the situation well, and then feel that you don't need to make eye contact yeah, with anyone, you um, can now keep going. You're aware, but you don't actually want to glance at, at a pedestrian or a cyclist or a driver because they, they therefore know that you've seen them, that you actually try to avoid <laughs> giving that glance off. But you, peripherally you are aware, yeah, that's, that's the notion. And it's, quite, it's obviously quite hard to distinguish between um, somebody that's seen via peripheral vision. Even the smallest movement of the head might indicate that. But we're quite attuned to seeing that. We're very, very good at reading bodily gestures and movements, even of the most minimal kind. You know, we're, we're, we're always on the lookout for that. And it makes perfect sense, for, even in this quite safe environment here, you know, we never know what another person's going to do. Pedestrians are quite notorious. Quite clearly they're able to change direction, probably the quickest of any kind of mode of transport. A bike is quicker than a car, but a pedestrian is the most able to change direction. So we're sort of we're aware of that, and we're always looking out for it. Um, and then you have the different uh, speeds we're travelling at, so a cyclist is going faster than a pedestrian car faster than cyclists and then of course you've got e-scooters and so it's getting remarkably complex yeah so you're doing some work on e-scooters at the moment what are you yeah doing? i've had a, a summer student and we've basically uh utilized uh, action cameras the gopro camera and have discreetly followed on an e-scooter with a camera trying to see if we can follow behind 
uh, e-scooterists as we call them, to see where they actually go, how they interact, how they give way. Because the thing is, it's still under trial in Wellington, so there's no formal regulations about where they should go. So consequently, you find e-scooters on the pavement, they're entitled to be there, uh, on the road and cycle lanes, and you know they, they weave in and out of all those different spaces. In Auckland, they've, they've um, introduced a number of speed regulations and stipulations as to where they should be, but currently in Wellington, we haven't resolved that. The council's um, just finished a survey. I think they had 6,000 responses. You'd have to think it's going to be sort of pretty much divided into pro and con. <laughs> you know, you either love them or you hate them, you know. Uh, so somehow or other they've got to work out um, how they're going to regulate the use of e-scooters. The other complication there is technologically you can regulate the rental ones. You can put, you can use technology to, to make a speed limit and even where they go. But uh, you can't do the same with privately owned e-scooters. You can't force people technologically to, you know, to not go over 20 kilometres an hour. So from this body of video data that you've collected, have you come to any um, conclusions yet? There's some emerging research from overseas and there's a nice piece of work um, was done in Paris and the researchers used the term hacking the city. So the notion that um, e-scooters are used to to divert um, blockages to people will ride them and get to a stop sign and they'll stop and they'll walk across the road. So it's a very um, flexible mode of transport. So that means you're quickly moving between being someone on an e-scooter and being a pedestrian. Yeah, exactly. And that way you can get around the city quicker than a car can. And obviously Paris is particularly, you know, prone to traffic jams. The thing that we found most interesting, though, was sort of, they are fun to ride. You know, we, I tried riding them, and that's the first thing you discover. They're quite easy. You can, you can get the hang of, of riding it within a few seconds, and then you discover that it's pleasurable. You can weave in and you can accelerate, and you, you do go faster than pedestrians. And Wellington has some good spaces, like the waterfront, where you can, it's wide and you can go at quite a decent speed. The other interesting thing is um, you can get overconfident. So you're learning to weave and accelerate. Then you find yourself on a, on a footpath where there are lots and lots of pedestrians. And, oh, I've got to, I've got to learn how to brake properly and not go too fast and go around them. And, and, and so, you know, you get this interesting dynamic between the pleasure and the fun and, and being careful not to collide with others. And also, the other thing is, the wheel size is quite small, and so they are prone to, to problems. You, I mean, I think the case in Auckland where a rider was killed, uh, my recollection is it was a stone in the wheel that locked it, and he went over the handlebars and hit his head. Uh, so you do have to be careful about where, where you go on them. A curbside is, is an obstacle. You don't usually ride over a curbside on them because you might fall off. Um, and yet we've seen e-scooters who are able to, to hop the curb, so who got quite skillful at riding them, and, and partly because of this logic of not slowing down, keeping your momentum going. So that's a, a really interesting dynamic. So I'll be going through the video data in quite close detail, trying to, to find examples of uh, that potentially risky riding based upon a notion of being skillful and enjoying riding the, the scooter. 
So that's how you analyse the video data, is you, it's basically going through and pulling yeah. out specific um, examples of behaviours. watching them the first time, watching them again, carefully going through. It's surprising what you can see when you go through a video several times and play it down slow, go through frame by frame, and you can find some quite fascinating things, yeah. Thanks, Mike. Mike Lloyd is a cycling sociologist at Victoria University of Wellington. I'm Alison Balance in this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 30th of April 2020. To listen again, head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there, why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? The link is at the bottom of the page. And on the way down the page, you'll notice that the show has a very extensive library of past episodes which provide many hours of listening And I heard from listener Thomas that he's been enjoying the variety of topics as he has worked his way through the whole archive. Well done, that man. RNZ Our Changing World is, of course, available on your favourite podcast app. Stay in touch. We're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Stay safe and keep washing your hands. Catch you next time. Mā te wā. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.